It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 18th of June, a strategy session for the Utah Jazz and how to approach the draft and free agency. And Jeremy Wu of SI drops by to talk draft. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it more fun to be a Jazz fan as we move through this offseason. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the Himalaya app, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast, Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for tuning in. Here's the plan. Uh, I'm going to do the opening segment, then I sit down with Jeremy Wu to talk about the draft. Kevin Pelton will join me for tomorrow's show. Probably will be posted a little early. And then I'm out. And then I am out until after the draft, and maybe I get a show done on the 28th of June. But we'll see. That's a jet lag issue. Um, And I'll probably try to do something for you before the 1st of July. But I'm guessing that a large part of what the Jazz are going to do in this offseason is done prior to July 1st. The more, after yesterday's show, the more I talk to people around the league, the more I think about things, let's do a risk analysis here and see what you think. So, the Jazz have want to have a talent upgrade. Like, that's the goal. Um... I think that there's a significant interest in doing it at point guard. There's less of an interest in doing it at power forward if you can keep favors. Uh, Maybe there's a slight upgrade you're going to make on your personnel at power forward in some way if you keep favors. Uh, And, you know... I did it on the draft. I love Jay. His plus minus speaks for itself. His his uh, intangibles and his uh, personality speaks for itself. His toughness. But I decided that I'd rather have a pure shooter. And so in the mock draft, I traded our pick to Sacramento for Nima Bielitsa um, and got that deal done. Uh, largely because Bielitsa had an extra year on the contract as well as um, is a better shooter and his next year is not guaranteed. So it kind of gave me more flexibility than having Jay as a free agent. Um, I trade actually gave up our first round pick and traded down to 40 to give myself more cap space in case I was going to play the free agent market. And I didn't think there was a huge difference between 23 and 40 in this draft. Which is always kind of a silly thing because there's got to be a difference between 17 points. So that is either a good or bad move. I'm not sure. My other options, by the way, if you didn't listen to Locked On Mock Draft, were Etwan Moore or Doug McDermott. I'll be curious to hear what you think of that. So that's all at the Locked On NBA Mock Draft yesterday uh, where I made that deal. But then I started thinking about it from yesterday's show and our Mock Draft. So let's talk about the possibilities here. Okay, so Kemba Walker... It's one of the most talked about possibilities. Is it really possible? And the answer is probably not, right? The chances of him leaving the Supermax in Charlotte 
to come to Utah seems slim. Uh, and he's being mentioned in New York and L.A. Um, for multiple teams. So that seems that seems unlikely. The next, Ch- Kyrie's out. Clay's injured. Um, I don't know that we're interested, per se, in Jimmy Butler and all that comes with it. Kevin Durant's injured, not coming. Kawhi Leonard's not coming. Chris Middleton seems unlikely. Milwaukee, I think, is going to pay him. And why he leaves Milwaukee for Utah doesn't seem particularly clear. And now you have Tobias Harris. Well, Tobias Harris is interesting because I don't think that one's completely out of the realm of possibility. But the minute Jimmy Butler goes to L.A., Tobias Harris is staying in Philadelphia for a lot more money. Is every indication they have and makes sense. If Jimmy Butler stays in Philadelphia, I do think Tobias Harris is out. But now you're bidding against against Dallas, Brooklyn, some other places involving Tobias Harris. If you're in charge of the Utah Jazz, what are what are you comfortable with at this moment? Are you if you go to free agency on that list of players, do you think you're getting any of them? Truly, do you think you're getting any of those players? Do you think you're getting Tobias? Brooklyn, Dallas, other places being mentioned there. And not to mention Philadelphia. Right? So what do you think your chances of getting Tobias are? What do you think your chances, honestly, of getting Kent Bar? Like, it's no longer the time to dream. It's the time to know. And frankly, if the Jazz have done their work, they have a pretty good idea of what, like, if we walked up and gave you a max offer on the first day, are you signing it? Oh, no, we're going to wait and see. Okay, great. Like, that's really helpful information. So if the Jazz hand Kemba Walker a max offer on day one, I don't think he's signing it. If the Jazz offer Chris Middleton a max offer on day one, I don't think he's signing it. If the Jazz offer Tobias Harris a max deal on day one, it's not clear to me whether he's signing it or not. If the Jazz don't get any of those things done, um, then what? If that's the landscape and none of those can get done, then what? Then you're into the conversation we had yesterday, which is Mike Conley or D'Angelo Russell. And if you're signing D'Angelo Russell, which is an interesting possibility, if you renounce all of your free agents, you have... $13 13 million in cap space, so that's not enough. If you renounce Howell Neto, you have about 816. That's not enough. If it's Corver, you're at 21, maybe. And now you're you could maybe keep faves. You get to 32 when you keep faves when you when you suddenly let favors go. Can you get D'Angelo Russell at 21 million and someone else isn't going to give him more? 
I think the chances are someone might give well. The other one is I have heard time and time again that D'Angelo Russell and Phoenix are tied together. Okay? That that has I've heard that all throughout the year. Do you know if you give D'Angelo Russell um a deal to Phoenix that he's not going to Phoenix? What's your comfort level there? These are the questions the Jazz have to ask themselves. It's cute to be involved in all these things, but you've got to know. Um, the the Nets have to clear a little space, by the way. Um, they don't actually have all the cap space, but I've heard the D'Angelo Russell, Devin Booker combo multiple times. If you're, so are you certain? And do you want D'Angelo Russell more than Mike Conley? Because this gets to the next point. If you can get a deal done for Mike Conley today, the rumors are out there, it keeps continuing, do you just get it done? The risk analysis of what we just walked through is really extreme. Do you know that you can get any of these guys that we're talking about. And if you can't, and there's a chance you're going to end up with the bag empty, you don't have any guarantee that the Conley trade is still on the table. So do you get the Conley deal done? Because that's the safe route. And you know you're better. And if you can do the Conley deal without losing favors, does it make it even more appealing? If suddenly your choices are Conley deal and no favors versus Conley deal or versus D'Angelo Russell, but you got to give up favors, how do you view those two things differently? Now, I don't know if the Jazz can get the Conley deal done without giving up faves. But the rumors are out there. Tony Jones has reported it. There's a lot of things to it, and it makes it interesting. But I think that that analysis we just did there is why the Jazz may have to try to get things done prior to July 1st for the security of knowing they get something done. I'm not sure the Jazz want to have any chance of ending up empty. Indiana, after Mike Conley is real too, you go wait too long, they go get Mike Conley. Phoenix goes get D'Angelo Russell. Kemba goes to the Knicks. Tobias Harris stays in Philadelphia, and you're empty. All right, let's talk draft with Jeremy Wu next. Today's show brought to you by my friends over at Intercap Lending. Intercap Lending has done some really cool stuff. Really proud of Brock and Steve Carter and the crew over there and what they've been able to put together. Intercap Lending came to us when they first came to uh, Locked On Jazz, they 
they were just kind of moving in the market. Josh Romney had moved the company. They had two branches. Now they have 11 branches in Tooele, two in Utah County, Ogden, uh, and Cottonwood. They've got their place. Why? Because they get deals done. As a direct lender, they're hyper-responsive. They embrace change, and they give you a great borrower experience. The direct issuer, in fact, they've done our loan. Steve Carter did it, and guess what? They still have our loan. Steve Carter is the locked-on jazz mortgage guy at Intercap Lending. Um, so give or lending guy, give Steve a call at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. He did our loan a while back. It was incredible. And now if you talk to all our locked on people, it's the same story. Tanner Lacey says, I work with Steve Carter. It was by far my best experience with the lender. Steve was always on top of everything, was in constant contact with me and my builder to make sure everything was moving along great. He was always super helpful. One point in the process where he hit a little bit of a speed bump, not only did Steve help us get over it, he stayed until 8 o'clock on a Friday making sure he had the paperwork information ready for a third party to work with. Would de- Definitely recommend Intercap, especially Steve, to anyone. Give Steve a call. Tell him you're locked on jazz. You get the locked on jazz corporate discount. 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Hyundai. I'm driving that Santa Fe right now. Absolutely loving it. My wife had the other Santa Fe yesterday to pick up the kids. They just got back from ski camp. My kids were in Mammoth skiing. And uh, she had the car just packed. That's why we got that car. It's safe for my son to drive. It has got all of the uh, absolute, all of the great kind of features and safety features we wanted. And it just carries a ton of space. Uh, And that is exactly why we ended up getting the Santa Fe. I'm driving the newer one. It's got more safety features, self-driving, bunch of incredible, not officially self-driving, but it keeps me in the lane all the time, does amazing things. Uh, it's all over at Murdoch Hyundai where they've got the longest days of the year, get the lowest prices of the year at Murdoch. The 2019 Elantra is 13990 The 2019 Tucson, which they've redone, it's only 19990 0% APR on the Tucson, Santa Fe, and the Konas. So great stuff going on at Murdoch Hyundai, located in Linden, in Logan, and at 4646 South State Street. Jeremy Wu, Sports Illustrated, talking draft to continue on Locked on Jazz. Jeremy Wu joining us now to talk NBA draft. He's SI.com's draft expert. He's also our draft expert on the Locked on NBA mock draft. And uh, let me just start with a big picture concept of this draft, Jeremy. I've heard so much about how it's a bad draft. Do you agree with that concept? You know, it's it's kind of a weird label to just, and I know we kind of do it every year. Is it a good draft? Is it a bad draft? I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. I will say, again, every year, every draft, there are guys who end up going later than they should who are like, how did we miss that guy? And, again, I, the point being, there's, there's always value to be found in the draft for teams who are you know, doing this the right way and, you know, get a little lucky. So, you know, I think this is a draft where I think there's probably less excitement about the lottery. Uh, you know, the top three, I think, are pretty set in the minds of most people. But then after that, it kind of flattens out. Uh, you know, some of those guys are going to end up being pretty good. Um, uh, so I, I wouldn't characterize it as a bad draft. I just think it's, I think it's thinner in terms of the talent gap between, say, like, I don't know, six and 20 or even 20 and 40. And, you know, all these guys could sort of go uh, in different places and ultimately – when that when happens, you know, I think you see intangibles separating players a little bit more. I think you see, uh, you know, injury concerns, you know, dropping guys a little bit more because these things, these decisions become harder to make. And so, 
Uh, I do think there will be a you know a handful of really good role players who end up in great situations and you know somewhere in between you know further down from the lottery, eighteen to thirty-five. I mean, they're going to be good players who you know have big careers. So uh, I, I just think I think it's maybe thinner at the top, but I, I don't think it's a bad draft. Uh, just if you want, you know, in the definitionally bad sense, right? I mean, I think they're going to be good good fits uh, that you that we see going in the twenties and thirties. The game's evolving so much. I thought Rick Carlisle had a really interesting quote this year when I was talking. He's like people are missing it's not that everyone can shoot it's that everybody can shoot and dribble in other words everybody you can kick out to can now also drive so that mm-hmm. that versatile player that you know deandre hunter ran something if i remember correctly like uh or maybe it wasn't deandre hunter was maybe it was somebody else but um oh I, I think it was um i'd have to look back at uh, oh, it was Jarrett Culver. Jarrett Culver ran 201 pick and rolls this year at Texas Tech. Like that type of player who actually had the ball in their hands an awful lot or did more things. Are they more valuable than ever? Yeah, I think it's a fair characterization. I mean, I'll say I think it's harder than ever to just be like a, a elite, like one skill specialist, right? Like I think, you know, you saw more of those guys, you know, when it was more of a half court game, uh, you know, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was easier to be a guy who just shot threes uh, or just did, just rebounded, right? But I think now, again, players are asked to do more. Uh, my game is played more in space. It's more, you know, ball movement and transition oriented. And I think it's definitely, I think when you're looking at, particularly just even for role players, uh, you know, being able to move the ball and make quick decisions, I think is a pretty, not that it's never been important, but I think it's more important than ever for sure. Um, and if you're trying to identify, you know, guys who are going to be fits uh, with the way the game seems to be going, I think that's something you have to take into account. A few years ago, there was the Devin Booker. He ran, I think, 11 pick and rolls at Kentucky and yet comes to the NBA and has a completely different role. Is there anyone in this draft who you've watched in college and you say, OK, well, that's great, but that's not how he's going to be used at all. And he's a different player in the NBA. That's a good question. Um, I got to think, man. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I, I think one guy who I, uh, interests me in that perspective is um, is Kobe White, actually. Um, just because, you know, Carolina had the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, he's sort of the de facto point guard for them. Uh, but I, I think the interesting thing with him, actually, is to me, he hasn't played point guard that long. Like, he was a two guard for a bit in high school and sort of has had to make the transition quickly. I, I think it's possible he ends up being more of a combo uh, you know, in the NBA. Um, but I also think that that type of guy now who can play sort of both guard spots and hit shots and move the ball is more really, really valuable because uh, you can pair them with a lot of different, you know, backward partners and put them on different lineups. So yeah, I don't know if it's, a, it's not going to be a Devin Booker, like out of nowhere, suddenly start doing these things. And if you watch Booker, I think in high school, you know, he played that way. He was sort of an isolation type player. So uh, there was some precursor for it. I don't know if there's anyone who it's quite as stark this time around, but I think that's a good example of someone who, you know, maybe he's not a full-time point guard. Maybe that's okay. Top 10 picks, usually two all-stars. They are whom this year? Uh, I mean, is it going to be boring if I just say Zion and Ja? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I mean, is that are – you, are you, I mean, being an all-star point guard's hard. Yeah, no, I, I think if I, if I have to have two picks, I mean, Zion is pretty easy. I don't think I would explain that one. and. Uh, I mean, I would go with Ja. I mean, I'm confident. I'm confident in Ja. Uh, you know, I, I was at down at Murray State earlier in the season, so I think I probably have a little bit more just personal context for it. Maybe that's biased, that's you know, or whatever. But I just I think he has the he has so much upside, man. And 
I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that he ends up being the best player in this draft. Uh, and that's not to hate on Zion. I just think that you know, there's possibilities where, you know, Ja takes off and, you know, has a great career and that type of thing could happen. I mean, he's just, he's so dynamic, uh, you know, making quick decisions, you know, making quick reads and, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of guys who have that sort of innate playmaking ability. Uh, and I'm not so worried about the turnovers. You know, I'd like that he's aggressive. They wanted him to be aggressive. Um, you know, he's a guy, he watches a ton of film, you know, he's a basketball junkie. I think that's really all he cares about. Sometimes those are the guys where, uh, it, you see it pan out and quicker than you think. Uh, so, I mean, if I had to bank on someone else, it would be Ja. Uh, I think at some point he'll do it. Two of the top 10 players traditionally never become rotation players in the NBA. It just doesn't pan out. Who's your most likely top 10 players to not pan out? Ooh, this scares me. Um, I, I would say of the guys that we think might be top 10 picks, uh, I mean, I, I think Jackson Hayes is one of the ones that scares me the most in terms of you know, maybe not getting to the point where he – is really contributing a ton uh, at center just because I think, you know, the replacement value of centers is high now. And, you know, he has good tools, but we haven't seen a ton of him. You know, it was one season. He had some really good flashes, but we just don't know. There's so much we don't know just with his, you know, how he's going to develop skill-wise. Uh, so I think that's one of them that I'd be worried about. Um, the other one I'd be worried about might be Cam Reddish, who I think teams also share these concerns where uh, it's just, you know, why isn't he more consistent? You know, why weren't his numbers better? You know, I think, you've heard people make the excuse with him where it's, Hey, you know, well, he, he was adjusting to being the third best player on Duke. But I mean, I don't really see that argument because I, I would think that, you know, playing off of a guy like Zion who makes everybody else better and playing off of RJ who draws so much attention would help. Right. So there's, there's something going on there. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's a total bust, but I also don't know if he, uh, you know, never delivers on the potential that people are hoping for. I hope he does, but I, I just, it's hard to parse that one. Two numbers on Cam Reddish that are scary. One, he was in the 38th percentile of all transition this year. Like, that's a – to me, that number is just pure athleticism, right? So Zion's 92nd percentile. DeAndre Hunter is 82nd percentile. Brandon Clark is 90th percentile. Kevin Porter Jr. is 89th percentile. There's almost nobody else in the draft other than Romeo Lankford and Kobe White who are below 40th percentile in on in transition uh, finishing. And Cam Reddish had 130 transition opportunities. Yeah, that's scary. I mean... I think people aren't talking as much about the issues he has finishing at the rim, but I think that's the thing where, you know, he, he's not the most explosive, you know, he can get into the paint, but then he'll get into the paint and have to try to throw something up. And I, I saw it happen a lot. Uh, I saw a lot of Duke this year and, you know, he, he shot it. Okay. I think he'll shoot it better than he shot it from three. Uh, he can keep getting better at it. But again, it's just with him. It's, it's tantalizing, but there's so much contingent on him improving so much. And again, I think you make a good point. Well, what if athletically there are limitations that we just aren't really, disgusting right so i mean he's a guy who could i mean i think could slip depending on what happens in the draft i mean i think he'll be a top 10 pick but i could see him falling out remember the locked on nba mock draft is up five days worth hour long shows you can binge it right before thursday's draft if you want to and get all of that in uh for you and hopefully you'll enjoy that uh on the the in all the different draft rooms and all the other aspects 
uh, of it as well. Today's show is brought to you by the store, 6200 South and 20th East. Just love the store. I'm going to miss the store on my break. Uh, the store brings you the mudslide cookie. Holy Batman mudslide cookie. I got the email the other day uh, from someone. It's just that great. But the store also just brings a community feel and an energy to it uh, of a local emphasis on good local people doing things for each other. It's in Cottonwood, 6200 South, 20th East. Stop by, check out the great salsas they make right around the back. You've got the produce section, and then if you sneak a little look around the back, there they are making all the device, all the salsas and other things. They've got a Utah cheese section. They've got the cotton candy from the Utah provider. The chips are from a woman he met at a wedding. Jeff and Scott uh, just do these kind of things. They find the local people. The June pies come throughout the week with the meal pies on Friday, and you can always get the store VIP package as well for you and get the text messages uh, for you from the store on uh, the store VIP. All you have to do is um, text store to uh, 71441. That's text actually the score to 71441, and they'll treat you like a VIP with about one uh, incredible deal a week. That's all. So text the store to 71441 and find out what amazing deals you can get uh, from the store, whether it's green beans or apples or something uh, like that. The other day they had buy one, get one cake squares. Uh, it was super fun. That was uh, earlier that Easter products earlier, mini watermelons. So text the store uh, at to seven, the store to 71441 and become a store VIP. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. Jeremy Wu, Sports Illustrated, with us talking draft. The If you're honest about it and you stop dreaming, when you get to about 11 of a draft, 50% of the players become rotation players and about 50% don't. So if you're drafting anywhere after 11 or 12, you should be perfectly fine with just getting a rotation player. In that grouping, who are the players you're most comfortable will give you a, a Luke Ridenour, Nick Collison-esque NBA career where they, I was thinking of a, a Sonic draft where they both ended up, you know, I think, what were they, 12 and 14, both played 10 years. That's like an incredible draft uh, to pull that off. So uh, who are the players that you most comfortably feel are rotating? Yeah, um, I, I love Goga Bitadze. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know if he'll be a top 10 pick. I think he should be one. But I'm going to put him in this group just because I think it's worth talking about. Um uh, I think he's a pretty safe choice. Uh, just, you know, being as productive as he's been, 
as a teenager, you know, at a really high level in Europe. I mean, that matters. Um, if you're talking about projection, um, you know, he, he, he's sort of a uh, more athletic than people think. Um, and then if he's a more athletic in his canter, that's a pretty good player. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't see how he doesn't pan out to some degree just because I think his feels really good. You know, he knows how to play in ball screens. He's big, he's going to get stronger. He's tough. And, you know, I think he checks a lot of the boxes that, you know, if you look at some of these precursors in terms of, you know, European centers, I mean, Jokic is going to be a true outlier, but then, I mean, Nurkic is a guy who's panned out, you know, I think he could be that type of caliber of guy who, you know, ends up becoming pretty useful. Um, if I had to pick someone else, I mean, I feel pretty good about Tyler Harrow. I feel pretty good about Kelvin Johnson. I think both those guys are going to work uh, and put the work in to become, you know, good complimentary players. Um, I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker is another good one who I think, uh, has a chance to be, uh, you know, a pretty solid guy just who hangs around. Um, those are some of the names that would, that would come to mind for me. We have a few guys that are knockdown shooters. So the best shooters in this group, you mentioned Kobe White a little bit already. He was one of the best spot-up shooters in the league. And if, and if I just take catch-and-shoot percentile, maybe. You've got P.J. Washington was a knockdown shooter. Didn't take a ton of them, but he was in his limited amount. Cameron Johnson obviously was, was terrific in his – um, shooting Tyler Hero was pretty strong at that. Keldon Johnson was pretty strong at that. Which of those guys have a chance to add something else to their game that then really gives them gives them the piece that they need? Yeah, I, I think the guy I watch on that is, is Tyler Hero. Uh, I think he probably is better at the dribble than he gets credit for. Uh, I think he's tougher than he gets credit for. You know, granted, he doesn't have a great wingspan or whatever. Not going to be an amazing defender, but he tries. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe two years ago when we were talking about Luke Kennard as a late lottery guy, you know, not to just compare them because they're white guys, but, you know, I think Hero could sort of maybe deliver a little bit more and won't be at hope we'd get from Kennard uh, in terms of off dribble creativity and playmaking, right? I think he can add some of those things to his game. And I think, uh, I think he's a guy who ultimately will sneak into the lottery. Teams really like him. There's a collection of players from Grant Williams to Admiral Schofield to probably miss, who are all these kind of, players that I'd say five to seven years ago, we would just say, you don't have a position, you're not in the league. Um, now they're, that's kind of six, seven, they, they would have been the undersized power forward Byron Houston type. Now we switch so much, we move around so much, positionally or interchangeable. Which of those guys do you think actually take advantage of this new world and have success? Or is that just kind of heavy set body that I, almost all these guys I'm talking about have going to be too difficult for them in a switching game? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky question. Um, you know, that if we're going to talk about what's a tweener anymore, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's not the same conversation it used to be, uh, just because, you know, how teams play can be such a big impact on that. Uh, I mean, I think if you look at a guy like Grant Williams, I mean, he's a guy who could be successful in the right situation. Uh, the question is just what is that situation going to be? Uh, I think with this draft, more often than not, I'm a little bit scared off by those guys. But like, you know, Grant, I'd be happy to take in the 30s, but I, I probably wouldn't do it in the first round. Uh, you know, Schofield scares me a little bit defensively. I mean, even if you go up the ladder, I mean, Brandon Clark is a guy who I, I think I'm lower on than most people just because, you know, I went and saw him against uh, when Gonzaga played North Carolina. I was at that game, and, you know, I just saw some things there that sort of had an heart for me to shake in terms of you know, him being able to play in a crowd. Um, and, I, and this is obviously not a be all end all argument, but if you look at the NBA finals, right? And, you know, the Warriors are dealing with injuries and, you know, Cousins isn't banged up and they've been playing Andrew Bogut and Jordan Bell can't get on the floor, right? And I think he's a guy who people are trying to make as a comparison for Clark. 
but you know, you throw him out there against Toronto's front line, and this guy's getting bodied, and he can't really keep up in traffic. And you know, being able to play in a crowd is hard when you're six eight uh, and you're playing against guys who are, you know, six ten with seven four wingspans or whatever, right? So. Uh, I think you got to ask the question of translation. You know, I know the stats are really good with guys like that, but I think it's you got to try to figure out where the middle ground is before you can evaluate. Right. Final question for Jeremy Wu today: The we've watched the NBA Finals with Fred Van Vliet, with Pascal Siakam, with Draymond Green. You mentioned Jordan Bell is the opposite of this because everyone thought he'd be the next Draymond Green. Um, anybody in that ilk that jumps out to you that says? Uh, that makes you say, you know, I think this is the next version of the Draymond Green, the next version of the Pascal Siakam, the next version of the Fred Van Vliet. Who's your guy out there? Um, I think the guy who I would come to mind for me is Carson Edwards. Uh, he's a guy who I think, you know, deserves to be a late first round pick. Uh, you know, you, you watch Van Vliet knock down shots in the, in the finals and not be afraid of the moment. And I think Edwards is a guy who can do that. Uh, you know, I think he'll get into better shape. I think, you know, he's not very big. He's like six feet. So, you know, defensively, you just don't know what you're going to do with a guy like that. But, you know, sometimes effort sort of bridges the gap. Carson's really smart. Uh, and he just, you know, again, you saw him in the NCAA tournament, man. He just kind of hits tough, tough shots. And if we're talking about guys who can really be dynamic playoff role players, a lot of the time it's that's sort of the skill that separates them. I mean, you know, not to hate on Danny Green, but Danny Green is a guy who's generally better in the regular season than the playoffs. Um, you know, in the playoffs, he's hitting fans those shots. And sometimes that's, you know, his main contribution. But, uh, you know, guys who can, you know, bend defenses and, you know, stretch them in ways that, you know, can impact series like this. I mean, I think Edwards is a guy who, to me, has a little bit of extra value just because of that elite skill. Jeremy, thank you very much for all your work on Locked On NBA, as well as all your other um, work here, and appreciate it very much. Totally. Anytime. That is Locked On Jazz today. I'll be back tomorrow uh, with some Kevin Pelton stuff for you. Uh, And then I'm out. So thanks very much for tuning in. Appreciate it. Go grab the rest of the shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. And for the mock draft, make sure you follow, or for the real draft, follow on Twitter, Locked On NBA Net. That's Locked On NBA Net to uh, follow what's going on, everyone's reactions on the uh, draft night. Have a good one. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.